0: things so uh and and that's going to happen anyway (laughs) because i always say some strange things don't i but um just for the sake of 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 clarity now this is not going to make the sermon longer okay just so you know that it's not going to make the sermon longer just for the sake of clarity let's do this okay because i'm going to be reading from a book and and this book is not as highly valued in our culture as it once was. And uh, some people don't read it at all. And most of us read it far fewer times during the week than we should. But it's it's very important because it's God revealing himself to us. And this book tells a story. And it's important to know the story because wherever you pick up in the book, it's going to be a part of the story, of the big story. So let me tell you the big story. It's really simple. I won't take long. I'm going to summarize the whole Bible. Just four sentences, really. First sentence is this: We're created. We're created by God. We're created. We didn't spontaneously spontaneous, this tough, spontaneous combust into the people that we are today. It wasn't random. It wasn't accidental. We're created. There's a creator. There's a creature. We're the highest creatures created in the image and likeness of God. There's a creator. We're created. Which, in, which, which means that, that if a creator created us and we see design throughout his creation we see that, 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 that it's not random, that there's no accident, that there's purpose. Then somehow we are created for a purpose. We make that conclusion that somehow we're created for a purpose. There's a creator. We're created. I believe that we were created to walk with God through this life. And walk means live. So we were created to have this consciousness of God, this awareness of God So that wherever we're at and whatever we're doing, and we don't just need to be in church to be aware of God. Wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, it's in the presence of God. And we're supposed to enjoy that and we're supposed to take advantage of that by continually consulting Him about life because He's the creator of life. So we need, to, we need to live our lives in such a way that we're getting guidance from Him. He's the Creator. We're the creature. We need His guidance, right? Makes sense. Well, I believe in Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are mentioned in the Bible. and In Adam and Eve's case, they just decided that they could do it better than God. So instead of trusting God, they trusted themselves. And they tried to do this thing independently of God. And when they did, God had to condemn that action and judge them. And he expelled them, exiled them from the very special place that he had created for them. And they lost, they lost, the, they lost what God created us for in the first place, which was intimacy, intimacy with him. To be able to live our lives with him. Wherever we're at, that relationship, that relationship that God wants so desperately to have with each one of His created beings was severed. And all of us followed in the footsteps of Adam and Eve. Well, I mentioned hounds before and the relentless pursuit of hounds, and, and you experienced that, right? You know, all these people came up to you and said, oh, you look so pretty today. Right? Didn't they say that to you? You look so pretty today. No. I mentioned hounds before. There's, there's one hound who, who is in a relentless pursuit of us who's the hound of all hounds. C.S. Lewis called him the hound of heaven, and he could never live. Well, he has life in himself but he could never never accept the fact that he had to live apart from us. He relentlessly pursued us, God, because he loves us so much. Relentlessly pursued us. That's, That's another part of this story. He pursued us. He had to do something about the rupture. There was a rupture that took place, and he had to do something about that. He had to do something about the brokenness. And we live in a broken world. We live as flawed beings in a fallen world. And you guys know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Because it doesn't always work out. Life does not always work out like you want it to, right? If it did, that boy you're looking at that you want so desperately to get beyond texting with, you know? You know what I'm saying? I understand this. I got teenagers. That you want to to get beyond texting, right? You want to get beyond talking. That would be easy, but it's not, is it? It's not easy. Because this boy doesn't always do what you want him to do, and that's probably good. We live in a broken world, and a brokenness, that's how it shows up in your life. The way it shows up in my life is kind of similar. I mean my wife wants me to do stuff that I just won't do. I mean there's brokenness. There's just there's there's just not the there's not the the it's not perfect. It was designed to be but it's not perfect. Things break down. So God wanted to 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 fix all of this brokenness, and especially in regard to relationships, so that our broken relationship with him could be fixed, our broken relationship with others could be fixed, and all of this brokenness and this fallenness and this devastation could be corrected. So he had a plan. and His plan, now get this, because Genesis 17 will make sense to you if you get this. His plan was to send a baby I remember that. And this baby became a young man. That young man lived a perfect life and that young man did what we couldn't do for ourselves. He restored the relationship with God. But not only did he do that, he promises to restore us in this world to perfection someday he will come and restore everything back to its perfect state and that's the story we were created perfect with all the advantages in the world we gave those up by making a very very poor decision and God promises to restore it all And anywhere you turn in the Bible, it's talking about that part of the story. I mean, it's talking about one part of the story. Excuse me, it's talking about one part of that story. That story of paradise regained through the work of Jesus Christ, through the work of God, through His plan. Genesis 17. Genesis 17 is is part of the story. It's early part of the story. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It's an early part of Genesis, chapter 17. We're not even halfway through in Genesis. It's part of the story, okay? Now, now remember, God promised that that he would take care of things. The way that he promised to do that was by sending a child. Okay? So the Old Testament, what the Old Testament does is this. It prepares us for the coming of that child. So, in a sense, you could say that this passage that I'm going to read today, is 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 like the backstory to Christmas. It's like the backstory to Christmas. It's like the background for the Christmas story. Because God told us, He told us, now, now we're looking back at it. We're looking back at it. They looked forward to it. And when we pick up the Bible here, they're looking forward to this child. We're looking back on this child. Okay, So the way that God prepared His people for this child or prepared the world for this child was by predicting it. Now, he predicted it through words, but He also predicted it through actions and through symbols and through types and, and, that, and examples and all kinds of things. So that's where we're at in Genesis chapter 17. Now, another thing that God did parallel to this is is He chose certain people along the way to be examples for us. Abraham is one of those choices that God made to be an example for us. We're to look at Abraham and we're to see his life and, and to examine his life as it's recorded in Scripture and to see the places where he failed, the places where he succeeded, and especially to see what God's trying to tell us through Abraham and through his life. Here's an example. If you look at Abraham, you start to see here's, here's what God wants from us. This is the kind of person God wants us to be. So Abraham, Abraham and his wife Sarah. Abraham and his wife Sarah. Abraham, at the point that we pick up the story here in chapter 17, Abraham is 99 years old. 99 years old. How old? 99, do 99-year-old 99 people have babies? Yes, in this case. Sarah is 90, 90 years old. Merle, can you imagine having a child at your age? No! For so many reasons, right? For so many reasons. Not just the physical, biological reasons, but also because it would be very difficult to raise a kid today, wouldn't it? It was hard enough before. This story, bottom line, and then we'll try to, we'll try to, we'll try to build on that. Try to flesh it out. But I'm like, this story's about a miracle baby. And it's a story that that points us toward, toward that part of the great story that's so important. A miracle baby. Jesus was a miracle baby. Babies don't come out of virgins' wombs. You have to have sex first. A seed has to be planted. This story prepares us for that story the miraculous birth. Abram was 99 years old. Chapter 17, verse 1. Abraham was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. I am else should die almighty God no there's a reason that God identifies himself in that way and the reason that God identifies himself in that way is because God made Abram promise that you'll have a baby that you'll have this miraculous baby that at age 99 and age 90 you will have a baby and Abram thought that ain't possible Sarah thought this isn't possible I can't have a baby. I'm not capable of having a baby. My system has shut down. So, so in the previous chapter, Sarah said to her servant, Hagar, you go have sexual relationships, a sexual relationship with my, with my husband, and we'll have a baby, and we'll call that good we'll call that baby the heir, the promised child. Well, God steps in here and says in chapter 17, "Uh uh-uh, we're going to do it my way. You see, because, because what you think, now this is God speaking to this couple, what you think is impossible is entirely possible with me. I am God Almighty. There's nothing that I'm incapable of doing, nothing that I can't do. I can bring life out of deadness. And so he said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. In other words, don't be that man that had sexual relationships with a woman who wasn't his wife to accomplish a purpose we can keep this we can keep this within my design within my design for for a married couple and 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 we can accomplish my purpose you don't have to go outside of your marriage to another person to have this baby you can have this baby with sarah Stop acting like Adam. Stop acting independently of me. Consult me. Talk to me about impossible things. About things that don't seem possible. You need to talk to me about those things. See what God's doing here? He's saying, talk to me. Talk to me. Trust me. Depend on me. Walk before me. Walk in my presence. I'm always with you. See, that's what God wants from us more than anything else. Whether you're playing football, whether you're swimming, whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're taking a test, whether you're talking to a boy, whether you're talking to a girl, whatever it is that you're doing in your life, God wants you to consult Him. You could say that that's what your life is all about. A constant conversation with God. We're human beings. We're fallen and flawed. We don't do that. But when we're in our best, we're remembering that God is the Almighty God and that we need to walk with Him through life. And be blameless. Be blameless. Whoa. Verse 2, That I might make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly, just like he promised in chapter 12. He promised Abram that he would become a great nation, that, that, that many peoples would come from him. And then based upon this, this, initial, this initial monologue by God, I am the Lord God Almighty, walk before me, be blameless. Abraham was overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do, God. I don't know what So what he did. Is he fell on his face. Abraham fell on his face. He just fell on his face. And, and maybe in awe of this appearance of God to him. Maybe in recognition of his, own, of his own inability to be blameless. In his own inclination to not walk with God instead of walk with God. Maybe he just fell on his face saying, oh, God, please help me, which is exactly where God wants you to be. You ever wonder why you have so many problems in life? You ever wonder why life is so difficult? It's like a message from God. It's like, boop, 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 boop. Pay attention. Boop, 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 boop. Pay attention. That's God. Not because he wants us to be miserable. But because he wants us to live according to His creation intent, which is to walk with him. Now, that puts a new spin on trouble, doesn't it? Behold, we have behold, my covenant is with you, not covenant. That's a, that's a difficult word, but, but think of it this way. Think of it this way. What God is doing with Abraham here is this. He's saying, Abraham, we need to have a relationship. We need to have a friendship. Covenant is the tool for that. Covenant is the mechanism for that. And by means of the covenant, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to promise you that I will always be with you, that I will take care of you, that I will fulfill my promises to you. Therefore, we will be in covenant. We, will, we have this arrangement. And when God makes a promise, what do you know about God and promises? Ellie, what do you know about God and promises? He keeps his promises. And he's able to keep his promises because he's God. And if he didn't keep his promises, he wouldn't be God. So he's entering into this incredible relationship with Abraham in which he commits himself to Abram. He commits himself to him. I promise you that these things will take place in your life. That's an amazing thing. But it's an amazing thing that's true of us as well. Because Jesus Christ has made similar promises to us. And we can have that kind of friendship with God. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Huh? I can't even have one kid. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. And I'm glad because I was tired of trying to distinguish between the two. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I'm going to change your name. Not us that I, I you know, th- to us that doesn't doesn't have much cultural significance. Okay, to us that's kind of an inconvenience. Th- here it's just it's incredible, it's incredible. What's happening here culturally is incredible. I'm going to change your name. From now on, your identity is going to be this. You're going to be the father of a multitude of nations. And for Abraham, that's true, not only in a biological sense, in a physical sense. Not only is he going to have a flourishing family tree. But I don't know if you've ever heard this song or not. Some of you have. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. Now, that's not biological. I'm not Jewish. I'm more Jewish than most people I know. But spiritually, in a very real way, that's not biological, but spiritual, I'm connected to Abraham. He's my spiritual father. He's the one who, who, who is the prototype in the Old Testament of faith. Believing that God can do the impossible. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. In other words, Abraham, you're going to have lots of kids, and these kids eventually are going to be organized into a nation, and that nation will be my people. They'll be my people. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And I'd love to be able to explain all this, but it would take us the rest of the day and we don't have that much time. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep. And here's where it starts getting gross. It starts getting really gross. And guys, it starts getting a little painful. I mean, if you think about it, it gets a little painful. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Ah! All right, God has this covenant with Abraham. It it involves Abraham personally in the sense that Abraham's going to have this friendship with God. But it goes beyond that. Because remember, we're talking about a bigger story. This is a smaller story in, a, in the context of a bigger story. The context is the bigger story. And in the bigger story, it's not just Abraham having children, but Abraham's children having children, and those children having children, especially one line, one line. That, that offspring having offspring, that offspring having offspring, that offspring having offspring, until we have the most miraculous birth of all. Jesus, born of a virgin. So it's this, it's this story, and then the bigger story. Abraham, you're going to have a child. You're going to have an impossible child. But this is just the beginning. And the reason this is significant is because of a passage in Genesis chapter 3 that talks about the dragon slayer. The dragon slayer. And we have to identify the, 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 the parties involved here. The dragon is Satan. And the slayer is Satan is the offspring of the woman. And so this is how the story is developing. God said in Genesis 3, there'll be a child born of a woman and he will destroy Satan forever. Satan will nip at his heel. But the dragon slayer will crush his head look for the dragon slayer and for all, the, the, all these generations prior to Abraham and after Abraham until Matthew chapter 1 they're looking for this child they're looking for this dragon slayer the one who would crush the head of Satan because if Satan's crushed what does that mean for us Well, if Satan's crushed, we don't have this, 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 this evil, evil person, this, this devouring lion chomping at us, trying to destroy us. And make no mistake about it, there's evil in the world. And some of that evil comes from within our hearts, but, but some of that evil comes from a diabolical person, a diabolical being, a diabolical angel who wants to destroy the work of God. And I don't for one second think of that as a myth. I think of that as a reality. God said, He will be crushed. I will send a baby who will become a man who will crush the head of Satan. So they always look for a baby. They always look for the baby, the baby who would be born. And Abraham's part of the story. He's preparing us for the story. Isaac, the child to be born, is not the baby, but the baby will come. The baby will come. In the next generation, that wasn't the baby, but the baby will come. And the baby will come. Now let me ask you a really a really you guys and, and the rest of you a really silly question with an obvious answer. Where do babies come from? Any anyone d- care to answer that question for the sake of these folks? Now I was getting a little bit of trouble here. because people think of me as someone who abandons dignity for vulgarity. But let me just tell you that I didn't write it down. They're not my words. It's the Word of God. So let's all be grown up about it. You know where babies come from. So God wanted to make sure that we would remember that fact because it was He Himself who designed it. And He wanted us to make sure that we'd get it. So He said to Abraham, Cut off the foreskin of your penis. He's 99 years old. That can't be a pleasant experience. His son, Ishmael, is 13 years old. That can't be a pleasant experience. He also tells the rest of his household to do the same thing. That can't be a pleasant experience. It's bloody, it's messy, it's gory, but it's the sign of a covenant the sign of this agreement that God has with his people. Because that's where, that's how babies are produced. And for generation after generation after generation until Jesus came, they'd take these babies eight days old and they'd bring them in, and as a, in a ritual, in a ritual, not just a, not just a surgical procedure that had anything to do with hygiene, but in a, in a religious symbolic ritual would have the foreskin of the penis taken off. So that the people of Israel would always remember that organ belongs to me, And someday, from that, will come a Savior. And aren't you glad, guys, that when the Savior came, Jesus, he was circumcised, and then circumcision became obsolete. It's done today. How many of you in here are circumcised? No, don't answer. <laughs> it's done today, Okay. But it's done for an entirely different reason today than it was done then. It was a sign of the covenant. It was a sign of the agreement between God and the human race and Abraham as the mediator. Every time they circumcised a baby, they thought about this promise. that the dragon slayer would come and one day the dragon slayer came and he was circumcised and then it was all over because he was the fulfillment of this promise. And we won't read the rest. I can summarize it. After after God came to Abraham or while he was with Abraham, He'd also changed Sarah's name. And he changed Sarah's name to to from Sarah to Princess. And he said, from Sarah will come, will come children as well. And especially that one child, that one promised child Isaac, laughter. By the way, when God said this to Abraham, he fell down on his face again. And this time he laughed. You know what the Hebrew word for laughter is? Isaac. You know why we named him Isaac? Because w- when, he was, when he was conceived in his mother's womb and Judy came to me and said, I'm pregnant again, I laughed. <laughs> literally laughed. because we weren't supposed to have kids and we had four. Abraham fell down on his face and he laughed and he said, said, God, how are you going to do this? How are you going to accomplish this? And essentially God said, don't worry about it, I got it. By the way, a year later, the baby was born. And after God reassured Abraham that everything was okay, that everything was in hand that God had it all that he could be trusted God went up from Abraham and Abraham did exactly what he was told to do he circumcised himself he circumcised Ishmael who was 13 years old, who was the child of the the slave circumcised his entire household and from that point on the ritual was to be continued. So that every time a descendant of Abraham had a baby, eight days after that baby was born, circumcision was a required ritual in anticipation. I hope that makes sense. I hope I was able to make some sense of that for you. Okay? Now we live in in the age of fulfillment the child has come the one ch- child to fulfill the promise has come that's jesus and he was born a- impossibly like we talked about and he lived and he died and he rose again and before he did he gave us a sign of the covenant, you see, because God's God's all about, God's all about these agreements, these these contractual, if you, for, for lack of a better word, these contractual agreements in which He promises that He's going to do stuff for us, and that we have obligations as well. Well, His His contractual obligation to us is to always be with us and to finish what He started. And in my case, and I hope it's in your case too, what he started was when I was a teenager, I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I was reconciled to God. I began to have a relationship with God at that point. Now, in the meantime, lots of mistakes, lots of successes but I have a relationship with God. What God promised me at that point was, I will save you, I will save you. And in Hebrews it says, to the uttermost. Which is just kind of a fancy way of saying, I'll save you all the way through. All the way through until the point where you no longer struggle with this stuff because I will change you from the inside out. So that it, it's at one point you are totally changed. You are what the Bible calls glorified when you are, you are in God's presence and you don't sin anymore. And until that point, until you get there, I'll continue to work on you. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. And that's what's taken place in my life and in, many, in the lives of many people who are here. Well, you can take that to the bank, which is a way of saying you can really depend on it because we're in contract with God. And here's how it works. This represents His body. This represents His blood. essentially it boils down to I will die for you and he did I will rise again and I will give you life eternal life because all that stood between us all that blocked our relationship has been taken care of all that's blocked our relationship will be taken care of and he did that and I will, I will save you now and forever. And until forever comes, do this. Aren't you glad, guys? We don't have to be circumcised. We can just do communion. Do this. Celebrate my death, my burial, my resurrection. That's the sign of... Of the covenant, just like the sign of the covenant for Abraham was circumcision, the sign of the covenant for us is this. And baptism as well, but we're not baptizing anybody today. We're just taking the Lord's Supper. Okay? So when we do this, a sign is for remembering. We're remembering. And at the same time, we're anticipating. We're anticipating. Uh, something greater, something better. We're anticipating a better meal. I mean, when you eat this, okay, you're, you're still going to have lunch, okay? This is not to fill you up. This is only to remind you of what Jesus did for you. But someday, someday, I'm thinking prime rib or maybe the best tri-tip I've ever had. Someday, we'll have that meal with Christ celebrating our marriage or the bride he's the bridegroom okay until then we do the lord's supper we remember we remember his commitment to us and his his desire for us to be in that commitment as well to be committed to him now before the men come forward and I'm going to ask you to come forward in just a second let me let me let me say this okay this is this is this is pretty important. This is this is this is pretty important stuff that we do here. Okay, once a month we do this. Pretty important stuff. Because it it it's it's a it's a sign of this agreement that we have with God. Okay. So there are some there are some conditions. Okay. And these are spelled out in the New Testament. And especially in Paul as he writes. First of all, don't, don't do this. In other words, you're going to have a chance to participate here. Don't do it unless you know that you're a believer. And by believer, I mean that you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. That this miracle baby became a, a, a man and he died on the cross to save us. From our sins. Don't do it because this is for believers only. To an unbeliever, it makes no sense. And it has no benefit. Okay. Now, if you are a believer, you don't have to belong to this church to take communion with us. Because you're a believer. You're this is for everybody who believes. But if you're a believer, you're also in a certain condition today. You're either all fessed up or you're not. In other words, in other words, if there's something that's apparent to you, now we all have sin that we don't know about yet. See, God sometimes just shines the light on our hearts and then we see the sin that we don't know about yet. But there are sins that you know about, that, you, that you're, it's crystal clear. If you haven't confessed that sin yet, it, do that before communion. It's a wonderful opportunity to make things right. And remember what 1 John says, if you say you have no sin... You deceive yourselves and the truth's not in you, so it could very well be that you have some sin in your life that you need to confess. I have no idea who you are, okay I don't want to know, but you know, so confess that sin, and then joyfully and gladly in joy this communion service okay now as i'm praying if the guys would come forward i'd appreciate that heavenly father we 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 thank you we thank you for your plan your wonderful plan to to rescue us sometimes we're not even aware of the fact that we need to be rescued but we do Rescued from sin, rescued from death, rescued from our own rebellion against You. And to think that, that, a, that a creature would rebel against the Creator, that's, that's appalling, but that's what we did. But we thank You that You didn't leave it like that. You didn't leave us in rebellion. But You worked the plan. And the plan included you coming yourself. Being one of us. Taking upon yourself the punishment that we deserved, Dying in our place. Rising again so that we could have new life in you and be new creatures, new creations in you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. And, Father, as we, as we enjoy this communion together, I, I, I pray that, that we make things right, that we confess what we need to confess, and, uh, and insofar as we're able to remove all those blockages that might exist between us and you. We pray this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.